everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Shipping Up to Boston, a very shippy Rosalia Niles podcast. Uh, I'm really excited to be able to talk about this episode today. I really like this episode. I feel like it's really cool that they tied all their history of Boston back into the story, and I feel like it does a pretty good job of summing itself up at the end, and I feel like you just really get to know a lot about the characters in this one. It's really good for, like, backstory and stuff like that. Um, it's called Boston Strangler Redux. It was written by Tess Gerritsen and Janet Tomorrow, and there's a third writer credit, David Gold, who is listed as a staff writer, but later became co-producer on some of the episodes. Um, I particularly like case files that, for this particular show, case files that sum themselves up at the end. The show does not do the best job, in my opinion, of, like, long-running arcs, so I think that, uh, ones that can sum themselves up in one episode are really handy. Uh, Donnie Wahlberg is in this episode. He is a, a guest that we will... See, for a little bit, there's not a lot. Detective Joey Grant, um, you can tell he has sort of sort of relationship with Jane, and he's kind of like a machismo, like trying to move up in the company as fast as he can type person. Uh, the episode starts out in like a hotel room or a bedroom where this woman is getting ready. It's a holiday weekend. Um, she just looks like she's getting ready for the day. The news is on saying that traffic is bad, but weather is good. Then she sits down and then all of a sudden someone grabs her from behind and strangles her pretty much. Um, then we quick cut to a softball diamond where it looks like all of uh, Jane's uh, Boston homicide. <clears throat> Jane's team is playing softball and it looks like they're playing against the drug unit. I'm not sure if that's like a big rivalry. They don't really, I don't think talk about it again, but it's kind of cute. Um, Crow calls Jane Janie and she hates it. And if I remember correctly, the only time Jane gets called Janie is by like her brother and then her mother, which obviously, you know, family. Um, but then you meet Joey Grant. He's the pitcher. He's kind of cute, honestly. I really don't like Donnie Wahlberg and his character <laughs> sucks. I hate him. Um, just cause he's kind of, he, he plays it really well. He plays that character very well. Um, it, it's one of those characters where you're not supposed to like him. Um, and then you meet Mora. Mora's there and she's in a wind suit. And I think that is probably her most iconic look in the entire series, just because it is so out there and so very Mora. I know that's only episode two, so you can't really say like, oh my gosh, that is such a Mora outfit or such a Mora thing to do. Cause you really barely know her. But if you see the whole series like I have and then you come back, you're like, yeah, that's totally in character. Um, she's telling Jane about how to how to bet and what the wind is at. And then you hear some random dude in a suit compliment her and say it fits her nicely. And she does not get it. She's like, it's water resistant. And he's just gross about it. And then she just ends up screaming the word upstroke at Jane like three times. And I know what that means, but it's just so funny in context to have Maura Isles in the skin tight water resistant suit just screaming upstroke. Like, it's iconic. Um, everyone tells Jane that she chokes every time she bats and you can see her swing and miss. And I'm guessing that because it's baseball and baseball is really big in, like, Boston culture, that this whole episode is kind of filled with, like, baseball puns. Um, they're kind of funny, honestly. Like, I hate puns like that, but they're cheesy and they're cute. Um, so Jane finally swings 
after Moore's great advice that no one understands. And she hits it and it gets caught, but Moore is still cheering. And she's like, Moore, Moore, that means I'm out. <laughs> but what Moore understands is, Moore, Moore, it's your turn to bat, which is so funny. So she cuts off Corsac. And so she sets up all funny. And she hits it on the first try. Um, and then all of a sudden you see this body definitely get thrown off the bridge. Yeah, like a McDonald's cup out of someone's window. Just like, poof. And then it lands with a really funny noise on the turf. Um, I just want to make a comment that because Mora hit it on the first try and Jane did not, I think Mora might actually be gayer than Jane, but the jury's still out on that one. It is only episode two. So everyone is like checking out the body and then random guy in the suit comes over and, you know, is inputting his opinion where it's not necessary. And Mora just starts flirting with him. And Jane is like, you're literally flirting over a dead body. And Mora, being Mora, was like, well, when else am I going to do it? Which, touche. I mean, time management. Use your time wisely. Um, Frost hands over a rim that he found. And then Mora is just like, oh, it's a 1960s Chrysler. It's great. Like, okay. How'd you just know that? That's great. Which is something that she does, you know, throughout the series. Is She's legitimately kind of like faster than Google search engine. <laughs> Um, Jane is really critical of Frankie just because, you know, that's her brother. She tells him, you know, you can't jump to conclusions. We don't know that this is a, the rim of a car who dumped her over. You can't make assumptions like that. That's how you become a bad cop. And then they go back and forth a little bit. And Maura says something about how she's too hard on him. And Jane makes the comment, well, you're an only child, which is a very offhand comment, but is something that is really important throughout the series. And I'm not going to spoil why. Um, but the fact that Mora was raised as an only child is very important to her development. And then Mora says the iconic line, you are deceptively complex and I do not understand you. Which honestly, same. Me at the entire world. I do not understand you. More softball puns. <laughs> and then it cuts to BPD and <laughs> my note just says, is Corsac dead? No, he's just a sergeant. No, he took his sergeant's exam, and he's really excited that he got 100%, but it turns out that he's been skipped over again. Hashtag ageism. He just hasn't had the chutzpah, he says. Um, and then he's just like, I'm too old. They're, they're not going to have me. And Jane is like, well, you know what? They wouldn't even allow women on this force until 1988, which is literally the year I was born. So, like, whoa. Donnie Wahlberg waltzes right in. Guess who's the new sergeant? Haha. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lieutenant. Lieutenant, let's not get those confused. Um, Jane has some sort of history with him and, like, bristles like an angry cat. And they end up walking over privately to a part in the room, and she starts getting on his case about when he cheated off her test in catechism. Uh, apparently he stuck a duck in her locker, and uh, Jane can hold a grudge pretty well. He says, strike one, baseball puns, <laughs> while the bad ball puns. And then he tells her not to park in front of the building anymore. And that's obviously, like, really rude. Like, park in front of the building. You know, ten whole steps sometimes make or break you. Uh, <laughs> Mora <laughs> is counting in the morgue. And she is saying, one post-mortem trauma, two post-mortem trauma. And as someone who has to pause when I'm benching because I'm a power lifter, I am no longer going to use the Mississippi method, one Mississippi. I am going to say one post-mortem trauma because that makes me so much more interesting. Uh, Jane makes a sarcastic comment about the best way to kill yourself. And of course, Maura knows that. <laughs> uh, 
um, Corsac starts telling a story about how he found a body that was so badly decap or like burned that he couldn't um, like get fingerprints or something and calls them pretzels and Frost continues his trend of puking every time something gets gross. Um, they leave poor Frost. <laughs> And then Jane is confronted by Maura about why she doesn't like Joey Grant. And it's so funny because she says that they like each other and that's why they're mean to each other because they're totally six years old. Uh, he mentions that he calls her frog face, which is not a very original insult, but it's still pretty funny. Um, <laughs> he's a childhood bully. And then Jane realizes that she missed Noki night, which honestly, I feel like if anybody in my family had a Noki night, and you missed it, you're dead to me. Like, I would do anything for pasta. Um, you So Jane goes to her apartment, and you can see, you meet her dad, Mr. Rizzoli. Uh, he doesn't have a big plot throughout the whole show, but he's pretty consistent. Um, you see Joe Friday, who seems to be in much better shape, and also James seems to like her a lot more this time around. Uh, the last time we saw her, obviously, was in the pilot, and it was only for a couple minutes. And you, she, she stays around for a while. Uh, Angela, Jane's mom, puts potato peels in the garbage disposal, which you cannot do. Which, honestly, I didn't know until I watched the show, and I did not fact-check that, and I don't plan on it. So, I just will avoid potato peels in the garbage disposal. Um, they yell at her dad, who's a plumber, to fix it. And then Angela is emotionally manipulating Jane into somehow physically convincing... Frankie to be a plumber for his dad like he's not allowed to be a cop and because he wants to be a cop that's somehow Jane's fault and it's Jane's problem to fix um Angela says that Frankie needs a wife <laughs> and Jane replies with why he has you <laughs> and uh then you she Angela starts talking about how great sh her marriage is and how Frankie needs a wife and then obviously Angela and Mr. Rizzoli keep fighting which is a bad example of what he needs in a wife. Um, all of a sudden, they cut to a crime scene because Jane gets a phone call. And Jane and Maura enter the screen at the same time, which I think is pretty cool. It's something that happens later on as well. Um, I haven't really seen that happen before. It's probably pretty standard. Nothing too, like, notable, but it's really neat. Um, Frankie shows up and Jane's like, why are you here? And he says something to the effect of, I came to learn from the best. And Jane rolls her eyes and then he goes, so where's Corsac anyway? Which like, sorry, but that's a level five burn and Mora better have some burn cream in that purse because Jane is down. <laughs> um, someone called the ambulance is what I wrote. Uh, Jane's phone rings and I think it's weird that she answers the phone with the gloves on because cell phones are disgusting and you just ruined all your fruit gloves uh but they got some info on a cold case at bpd so jane goes back to the station and the girl they found out that the girl has the same name as the boston the first boston strangler victim and they're all like copycat boston strangler whoa it was never solved like scooby-doo style uh, then they kind of go through the Boston Strangler history, which I kind of glossed over. Um, they kind of hit on some key points, but it almost seems like they didn't want to make it so similar that people actually got upset by it. Because from what I gathered, this was really important to the city of Boston and still pretty fresh in history. So maybe they didn't want to get too close to it in case, you know, people from that area actually got mad about it. Because I, without a doubt, believe there are still people around who could be mad about it um they 
mentioned that they had somebody who confessed, but no one felt really at like, like it got solved and people were really mad at the cops for not doing as much as they could and yada, yada, yada. So of course that gives his background history with all the cops that he worked with saying that like this case was really hard on a lot of people. And then, so we end up cutting to a restaurant where Moore is on a date with the guy who was really gross about the windsuit. And my note just says, Mora is way too smart for men. Actually, way too smart for anyone, really. Um, she talks about a lot of really cool stuff about science and about, like, music history. And the guy is just looking at her like he has no idea what's going on. And the two brain cells inside of his head are focusing on a boob each. And she's like, I like science. And he says, I like you. Which, honestly, I have to sympathize at that point. Because if Sasha Alexander was staring at me rambling about science, that's about everything I could muster as well. Uh, she gets close to the guy. And you think they're going to start, like, making out. Which there is, like, some kissing. But, obviously, it doesn't look very believable. Not that they're bad actors. But, like, there's just not any chemistry there. With, like, on purpose. Um... She starts feeling his skin and telling him he has a rough skin. Like, completely just, like, stone-faced. Like, she's not being mean. And then starts asking him about his fingers and his elongated joints. And he makes them offhand comment, like, I'll show you later. Yeah, okay. Uh, she ends up diagnosing the man with Marfan syndrome. Which, if I'm not mistaken, is also the same syndrome that Abraham Lincoln had. And then, I just, it's very strange. <laughs> it's very out there. Um, because if you look at the guy, he doesn't really have any of those characteristics. He does not have long joints. He is not very tall. And his skin does not look rough. That might be a casting problem. But this is only episode two, so I, can't, I guess I can't be too picky about it. But this man does not look like he has Marfan syndrome. Like, he just doesn't. But, you know, maybe it's one of those invisible illnesses that I shouldn't be so critical over. Uh, and then she starts telling him about heart damage and then he gets up and leaves and she's like, wait, where are you going? After I just told you this incredibly huge bombshell that may actually impact your life. And he's like, I'm going to go call my doctor. Thanks. Um, so then that is a bus. So we cut back to the, to, uh, the Boston police department and they're going over how the cases have, the pieces of fabric tied in a bow and that is not something they ever released to the public and so while it was a private file like no one ever knew like publicly that the stuff was tied in a bow that's like the one fact they didn't release but all the pictures of the people they have or the girl that has them since strangled has her stuff tied in a bow and then they go off like jane gets really passionate about like what if the strangler is a free man what if this is the boston strangler like this could be a really big case uh we need to stop this we need to look into this and then donnie Wahlberg just pretty much sucks again he pretty much says sit down shut up and go work on something else which he'll change his tune later but this is where i'm just like <sighs> jane is obviously really really passionate about this like you can see in the 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 way it's filmed that she's like got like glistening eyes and she's got like a forehead vein and she is 100% believing in this. She's got furrowing eyebrows and if there's one thing you don't mess with is Angie I Angie Herman's eyebrows. Like they you don't you don't. Um so Corsac and Jane sneak into the basement 
to look at old case files, and it turns out they're purposefully mislabeled and hidden in plain sight. Um, Corset goes through all these files and finds the names of cops that he worked with and kind of follows it up with, oh, they died this way, they died this way, this man killed his wife and child, like, really just not necessarily saying PTSD, but he said that this... This job really, this case really messed a lot of cops and killed a lot of good cops and families. And that just saying that they had to be careful because the people of Boston were very, very defensive about this. And that it shook the whole city and that they didn't want to, like, open a can of worms and have it go south. That they really needed to respect this. And then they, they had some weird poem by the guy who was arrested as the Boston Strangler. Like, saying, is he in prison? Is he out? Like, just joking with everybody. Um, so then from there, Corsac recognizes one of the names, Leahy, that he had worked with in the very beginning. Which I just, I guess I just didn't realize that Corsac isn't, like, old. Like, he's not geriatric. But he is quite a bit older than Jane. Like, maybe about double her age. And so he does have history. And I feel like this show as a whole could have really dug deep into his history with the police department and really like gotten a good backstory on him because this I think is about the only time it really goes into like his history and what he did. Um, they go end up going to the dirty robber, which I don't know if we know what's called the dirty robber yet, but this is the cop bar that everything takes place at every notable moment, every sort of like, like, we're going to go out to eat, we're going to go hang out, it's all at the Dirty Robber. Um, he, that you meet um, Detective Leahy, who's played by Brian Dennehy, who wasn't really known for anything. He looks super familiar, and I thought I knew him from something, but he's really known for, like, action movies in the 80s, which is not something I'm personally invested in, so maybe I just made it up. I probably knew him from here. Um dude makes some sexist comment about how they allow women on the force now and Jane is just like, ooh, yikes, they even let me have my own car. Like, strike one for sexism. Like, I get it. I get it. It happens. This is... I don't want to call it unnecessary because it is character building, but it's just, like, too overt. If someone's going to insult you by being sexist like that, they usually say it in a less overt way and very passive-aggressive. But this is television, not real life, so I didn't write it. Um, so they ask him about the case. He gets really defensive. They end up, he ends up leaving. They've got nothing. So Jane and Korsak are like, SOL. So we cut to the morgue, and Frost is looking at a dead body. Heaven and Hoenn trying not to puke. Uh, he laments that Crow and Corsac are making fun of him, calling him barf bag kid and like hiding fake vomit. And then Mora makes a comment about how he needs to get his morgue legs, which I think is adorable. I would have never. That's just so cute. Um, and then Frost suggests immersion therapy, which Mora says really helped her with her fear. And... Frost looks really concerned, and he says, well, you know, what are you afraid of? And Mora says, people, live ones, and honestly, relatable. 
I have never felt so close to more aisles than I did in that moment. People are scary. But she just says, like, like, she's scared of people. She looks at the dead body. She'll never judge me. She'll never tease me. And I can help her. I can speak for the dead. Which, honestly, I think is super cool. That's a really good character moment. That Mora is terrified of people, but feels like she can be an advocate for the dead. And I feel like in television a lot of procedurals really don't have a lot of that i mean obviously there's always like pathologists and coroners but i feel like mora is unique in the fact that she's really terrified of people and like as the human embodiment of social anxiety but also wants to do good where she can um and then i have a note that says are we supposed to ship mora and frost because no I know that it's just a second episode, so anything is possible, but, like, no. No, there's nothing but, like, sibling, like, big sibling vibes there. Um, yeah, no, that's not a thing. Um, and then you see Mora shopping, which is pretty, pretty common. <laughs> She's usually shopping in her downtime. Jane, okay, Jane walking around with a bat in her hand. Can we just say that's a big mood? Like, if you had to sum up my brain in one picture, it would be Jane like swaggering around with a bat in her hand like honestly um i just have a, a quick note that made me think of uh mora with a bat and jane telling her how to sit really reminds me of an episode of the x-files where scully and Mulder play baseball and Mulder teaches Scully how to swing the bat saying hips before hands and honestly the same energy is there I really like it. It's kind of shippy. Uh, Mora laments about how she's, she's a serial date ruiner. She's diagnosed many people before. Jane makes it sound like she, do, like she does it every time. And then uh, Jane's like, I brought you presents. And then Mora's like, yay, presents. It's a skirt. And talks about how many skirts freed women. Hashtag feminism. And that Mora is the fashion forward feminist of the bunch. So we end up cutting back to... BPD. Uh, Frankie drops off some pictures to Jane, saying that he took some pictures of the scene. Jane promptly ignores him twice. And then, finally, he's like, whatever. So, you know, Detective Grant, I should stop calling him Donnie Wahlberg, because it's not Donnie Wahlberg's fault. This character sucks. <laughs> uh, comes in and gets real snippy about how he doesn't like where the case is going. He's on the front page of the paper, and he doesn't, he's going to put together a task force and they'll take it over from there. So, <laughs> um, he pretty much sucks. Jane looks out the window and realizes that her car is getting towed. And she runs out of the building and through the elevator and, like, tries to stop her car from getting towed. And I'm just going to make a note that Angie Harmon running, that is all. Um, she runs right into the old guy they were just talking to at the bar, who ends up getting the guy to not tow the company. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Crow is the one who looks out the window and says that her car is getting towed. Anyway, um, and so the, the guy comes in with his personal case file and gives it to her. Once again, is pretty sexist, saying it's hard for him to see a woman on the force. Like, okay, that's fine. Not cute. Um, he asks Jane the question if she is married, which is highly inappropriate. I 
really dislike when people ask women if they are married or men too. It's none of your business. Um, Jane says she's not. And he said, that's a shame because that's totally his business. And she says, no, you know, I'm not married by choice. And he asks her why. And she said, because any man I could ever love would not want me doing this job. You know, conveniently leaving out that women are also an option. I'm just saying, Laura would not tell her not to do that job because she's actually, you know, uh, a police enthusiast. Works in tandem with. And then, so, um, she says something about how, you know, she loves the job more than a relationship. And I'm like, the bar is really low. So, she gets in the elevator and then Frost and... Jane are looking stuff up. Um, they're looking up a mugshot that the guy brought in. And the guy has been paroled. And um, he ends up giving them an address. And then they all go to that address. And the old cop guy is still there. I don't think that it's appropriate to bring him to a you know crime scene. But I'm not a cop, so that's fine. Uh, they end up getting to this house, and there's the meanest, most racist old lady there. And honestly, as someone from Iowa, like, I see a lot of them. So, I think this is really extra. I understand that she's supposed to be Irish and supposed to be stereotyped as being really racist and really just sexist and rude. Um, I feel like this character should not quite have been this, once again, overt about it. It seems like it's kind of pandering and that for a character that has had no, like, backstory, that we're just randomly meeting this really old racist lady who's this serial killer dude's mom, like, I don't know. It just doesn't, it just doesn't flow, in my opinion. Um... She calls Jane a skinny greaseball dyke, which is rude, unless you feel like reclaiming that, and then it could be painfully accurate, but it's still rude because it's said in a really negative connotation. And then she calls Frost an affirmative action cop, which is super rude and super racist. Like, this is unnecessary. I mean, at least they didn't go, you know, balls to the wall and start throwing racial slurs out there yet, but uh, completely unnecessary. But... I, I get the plot the plot point. Um, I would have liked to see them maybe say something else. Maybe not even have to put that in there. You can show that she's a shitty old lady without having her say that. But once again, this is 2010. It's the second episode of the series. Like, but I'll, I'll lay off of it. Um, so while they're interviewing this wonderful, wonderful woman, straight, same, like, she's just beautiful, wonderful burst of sunshine you hear the old men fighting in the back <laughs> and i just my note just says old men fighting and this isn't even the fishing section of walmart like they're going at it it's very fake it doesn't look very convincing but you know this is a show on tnt it's not game of thrones or anything um dude says something about like body shaming leprechauns and i just i don't understand it more racial slurs i'm just like Bleh. A little unnecessary. But um, the good news is I really don't think that the show does that again. I think that is something that they did in the second episode. And I really, I really don't, I, I, from all I can remember, they don't really do anything like that again. Which, good. Learn from your mistakes. Um, so Jane and Frost see this random, like, 
garage type thing out back. They go in and look. They see conveniently in the corner is a black and white photo of a car with a rim that matches what they're looking for. Um, although, if I'm not mistaken, when the car was towed up, it didn't have matching rims to what they found, but I could have just been really bad at noticing things, so ignore that if I'm wrong. Um, so they go back and they look up everything. They look at the pictures. They find this guy. They identify this random guy who's at their crime scene. They go bust his door down, and he pretty much has, like, the college girl's equivalent of a true crime shrine. It's got, like, the cute little LED lights. It's got, like, a nice little collage, but instead of having pictures of middle-aged actresses, it has pictures of, you know, strangulation and death victims. They take him back to the station. He calls himself Dr. K.O., and then he's a death enthusiast. I don't know. It's weird. But they exist. Um... Jane gets a phone call that there's another victim, and they find the car. So, uh, they go to the crime scene, and Maura's explaining, you know, what everything is, and she refuses to say blood. She says reddish-brown stain, which is, like, a plot point throughout the rest of the show, where she just will not admit something as blood. It has to be a reddish-brown stain, even though it's very obviously blood. Um, and then they go back to the police department... With the car, Jane, the guy's trying to tow the car, and she's like, can you, can you not? Can you take that to, like, a, a crime bay? He's like, they're all full. So she just stops on some gloves and investigates it right there on the, uh, right there on the sidewalk. Uh, she finds blood tucked away, and it looks kind of like one of those bandages you would put over, like, a, uh, like when you get your blood taken. Then you have, like, a little pinprick. And then, so... Uh, Jane ends up just bagging the blood, and then they get a call that they they match the first blood sample they found to the old racist guy they went to go visit. So they go to go arrest him, and then Donnie Wahlberg shows up with the task force and says he'll take it over from there. Like, rude. Okay. And then Jane's whole family shows up at the police station. And she gets to see her dad. And she's like, why are you here? <laughs> and they're like, Frankie called us and said your car got towed, so we came to give you a ride. Which is funny. Frankie's a narc. Um, so then Jane starts talking to her dad, because Frankie's already gone with the task force to go arrest this dude. And she's like, why do you want him to be, you know, a plumber? And he's like, I didn't want him to be a plumber. I don't want you to be a plumber either. I never wanted that for any of you. You're very obviously not interested in it. And so they talk about the business. And then so Jane gets mad that she's not going to go get the like the arrest. And so she gets in the elevator with Frost and she smacks the crap out of the elevator. Like you can hear it. That was good. Uh, she's moping in her seat with Frost. And then Corsac walks in. And then Frost walks out. And I don't know if they're still compromising on the whole... Frost doesn't want to interact with Corsac because he's being really rude to him. And Corsac is really jealous of Frost because he's Jane's partner. I'm not sure. Um, so they're talking it out and Jane kind of has an idea. They go look at the footage they got from the dialysis center and they see that the old cop walked in to get dialysis. But when 
he walked out. It was only five minutes later. So it was like a good cover. And uh, so he's obviously like not showing up. And then you cut to Dr. Isles getting coffee in the cafe. And she hears the guy behind her talking, which is the old cop, about the Boston Strangler and just retelling like old man stories, like shooting the shit with these guys. But she hears him start to cough and like get wheezy and she turns around and introduces herself and he knows who she is although I'm pretty sure he was never introduced to her which is kind of weird uh so she asks if she can see him and they go down to the morgue and she's taking like listening to his heart and she asks how many uh dialysis appointments he's missed and she or he says none and then she says she doesn't believe that and she's gonna call his doctor so when she goes to do that he says hey doc and she turns around and he's got the like tiniest little gun, like it's tiny. And he's like, why can't you just leave it alone? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, poor Mora is like back into a corner like, what? And then you hear Jane yelling because she wants to test the blood she just found. And he holds Mora hostage. And he says, you know, you are a good cop. And Jane makes the offhand comment, yeah, for a girl. Like, that's, that's smart. Um... He says a bunch of nonsense about how he wanted to make sure that this guy got arrested because he's the Boston Strangler. And while he's, like, per like talking and talking, Maura grabs a scalpel and jams it into his leg. Oof. And then Jane picks up the bat next to her and smacks him with it a couple times. And they make more really cheesy baseball puns that I'm not even going to repeat. Uh, then they're like, ooh, she caught him. So... The next scene starts out at the Dirty Robber. Jane and Mora both come into focus from either side, kind of like the same shot from the bedroom, except for they're on opposite sides. And it's very even, looks really nice. Um, they're just having a drink. Jane asks, you know, Mora if the guy with Marfan's ever called her back. And he, she said, you know, he called me back to thank me. He, he seen a specialist, and then when Jane asks if she's going to continue the relationship, she says, haha, no, I don't date patients, which is pretty funny. Um, and then there, she's like, can't we just talk about your love life to Jane? And Jane is just like, oh, no, because, you know, I only date two kinds, one who hates that I'm a cop and one who wants me to use the handcuffs, which honestly, you know, okay, okay. Uh, she's like, wait, look, and she sees this guy looking at her, and she flashes the badge, and he turns around like, yikes. And then she sees another guy, and she looks at him and shows the badge, and he looks really interested in it. And honestly, we all know that's fake, it's too perfect, but I feel like that's probably a reality. Um, and then Detective Grant comes in. I probably should call him Lieutenant, because that's his actual title, but Donnie Wahlberg comes in and he is chit-chatting about how he owes Jane an apology and then Jane's like you look really uncomfortable and Maura's like well you know he's got blisters from walking and he's like can I sit down and Jane says no and Maura says yes so they talk about how he owes her an apology and then they chit-chat a little bit more and then he gets up to leave and that's pretty much the end of the episode um I I think this episode's like it's good it's not the best I've ever seen uh, but the first season of the show is pretty solid. I think it's really smart of them to take, you know, it's set in Boston. Although none of them seem to have Boston accents. Like, Corsac's accent is gone. 
Uh, but it's really nice to see them take history from the city they have and write it into the show. Um, it happens a couple other times in the first season, but then, like, towards the la the latter seasons, they really don't talk about Boston in that way anymore. Um, I think maybe they just kind of used up everything they thought they had. Um, they're kind of setting the pace for more aisles being really fashion-forward and really likes to shop in, like, a fashion diva. And that's something that wasn't really in the books at all. She is going to start being known for, like, the brands she wears, the patterns she likes. Um, there's a whole... There was, like, a Tumblr and some websites that popped up pretty quickly that would tell you exactly what she was wearing. Or if you wanted any dupes, you could buy them. Jane wears, like, the same thing every day. We're not going to talk about Season 6 Jane or even Season 7 till we get there. But for now, she just wears the same thing every day with a different color. It's pretty standard. It's actually pretty in character. I really like it. Um, I had forgotten because I hadn't seen this episode in so long because I just watched the pilot over and over. I never really got to this episode. I kind of really forgot about like how quirky Mora's fashion is with the windsuit and how like she, her, she evolved so much. And also I forgot that Sasha Alexander was pregnant when this was filming. I think she announced that she got pregnant in the very beginning of the season. You don't really see it yet. And honestly, you don't really see it, but maybe a couple times later on this season. But that's it. Um, so, that's going to be the end of episode two. Um, I appreciate everyone's support so far. I'm working on getting this distributed on more platforms. I have to work with Anchor. They're, they're slowly releasing it on different ones. Um, once again, I would love any feedback you may have, or if you want to be a guest on the show or just ask some questions, I don't feel like I'm going to get a big enough following to have like an entire episode dedicated to like Q&A, but you can always send me questions on what I think. I am trying to keep this spoiler free. Uh, if I accidentally spoil something in an episode, I will tell you in the beginning when I record an intro. Um, it, otherwise, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. The It's shipping up to pod. I got that wrong last time. Uh, shipping up to pod. Otherwise, you can follow me on Twitter. My ad is Kathy Sucks with two X's. And then our Instagram is shipping up to Boston pod. I know it's a long one. You have to bear with me. And then mine is Kathy Sucks. Again, that's like my social media for everything. Um, the email is shipping up to Boston pod at gmail.com. I sent you, you know, there's a theme going on here. And once again, feel free to send me any of your fan works, any edits you may have made, any fan videos, any fan fiction you would like me to talk about. Uh, I don't really have a lot of time right now to be reading and consuming it, but I will definitely like make a, a section of this podcast dedicated to fan works if you'd like me to. And also, once again, if you have any feedback, I would love feedback. Whether it's positive, negative, constructive criticism is always preferred. Um, please, you know, give me give me something. I know that at this point when I'm recording, the first episode has not dropped yet, but the introduction has. And I'm hoping to keep on this recording process. My goal is to release every other Friday. And as of right now, that's looking pretty good. 
I know I said it in the original introductory podcast, but I do have a powerlifting competition coming up that I am training very hard for. So it might get strained around then. But other than that, I should be okay. We should be on par. And then maybe if I get enough following, we could do something cute for Christmas or maybe some sort of exchange. I don't know. The possibilities are endless. DM me if you have any ideas. But, uh, well, that's the end of this episode. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, keep on shipping.